It's the most wonderful time of the year in football land. City hail the rebirth of Jesus. United look forward to the arrival of the man with the sack. Italian sides have a relative disaster and Real Madrid prepared to be pulled about by a team with antlers. We round up all the big news, including live from Neon, the Champions League and Europa League draws. It's all in this Totally Football show in association with Paddy Power. It's a cracker, etc. and so on. Hello, everybody. In the pod today, Michael Cox, author of The Mixer. Hi, James. Hi to you, Michael. Daniel Story. Good morning. You've run Frosted now, haven't you, Daniel? Yes. Good. I have indeed. And you want to talk Norwich. <laughs> yes. Norwich is power. Norwich. <laughs> <laughs> That's it. Well, you're going to explain why little Norwich are a dangerous thing. Yes. Excellent. Indeed. Okay. And also with us today, I'm excited to uh, reveal winner of the Torcedores. Prize for O Melhor Reporter do TV. <laughs> ESPN Brazil's Natalie Guedra. I really like your Portuguese. Thank you so much. Yes. Well, finally, we have somebody who's won something. <laughs> That's amazing. What did you win that for? Being on TV? Uh, yeah, no, actually, uh, the, there's uh, a round of journalists who choose the top three reporters in the country, and then uh, it goes to popular vote, and then so I got So you're on voted. a shortlist? Yes. For your work for ESPN Brazil? Yes. And then I won. And then you won, which is yes. amazing. Yes, I mean, it it's not is. amazing because you're good, but it's amazing. No, because... it is. Yeah. Absolutely. It <laughs> is. Because Brazil's what, like the fifth, sixth biggest country in the world? Yeah. Okay. I, don't, I, I didn't even know that many people knew my name. It's so weird to think about that, you know? Right. And all this from one appearance on the Totally Football Show. That's See? <laughs> so, um, yeah, so that's the best reporter on TV. Brilliant. I can't wait to hear what you thought of this weekend's action. We've got the Champions League draw happening as we speak, but we're still very much in the preliminaries there, more when we know more. So let's begin with Sunday at Anfield. Babies up in here tonight. No fighting. We got the refugees. No fighting. No fighting. Shakira, Shakira. That's right, Liverpool Man United, Sunday afternoon. Aluba Shakdeva says, does anyone else shout Shakiri Shakiri every time Jordan gets on the ball, or is it just me, panel? It's just him. Is it? Hmm. I doubt that. Anyway, his entrance into uh, this classic clash proved to be a decisive. It was a game of uh, the masters of pressing against the masters of depressing, if you like. <laughs> and uh, Liverpool, worthy winners. Natalie, let's begin with you. Uh, you know what strikes me the most in, in this match? When, when, you, when you see the stats and you see 36 shots from Liverpool and six shots from, from United, and you think last season, uh, uh, many, many of you m must remember this, uh, a new new at Anfield uh, between Liverpool and Man United and Klopp was really irritated because uh, Liverpool was supposedly the only team who really played and United parked the bus properly. So they were so good at defending. And one year later... They didn't have that many changes in the team. And and how did how did they get so bad in defending? Because a team who, who got 36 shots did not defend well. So that's the thing that strikes me the most. How things have changed so much from one year on to the other. It wasn't that United was was brilliant. They just they, they did proper defending. So a year ago. Yes, a year mm. ago. And now not even that. Not even that. Yes. All ten of Liverpool's outfield players had a goal attempt. Although most of them, to be fair, were from some range. And two subs as well. And two subs. So end up with yes. 12 players having a shot. Yeah. 36 shots, as you mentioned, which is the most that Man United have ever been recorded having against them in a Premier League uh, game. And now they're, what, 19 points behind Liverpool, which is the most they've ever been, apparently, in any top-flight season ever. Rick Sharma pointing out that if Man United were 19 points off the top in Spain, they would be in 18th place. Wow. Yeah, that is a strange stat. I'm not sure whether that says more about Manchester United or the Premier League or La Liga, but that is incredible that they'd be in the relegation zone with, with that tally. Mm. What did you make of Liverpool, Michael? I thought it was a strange game because Liverpool were really, really dominant in the first 20 minutes. And I think if they'd won the game, if they'd been 2 or 3-0 up within the first 20 minutes, you wouldn't really have had many complaints. But I thought their goals came when I was starting to doubt them. I thought United had just about weathered the storm until that brilliant Fabinho chip. And then the second half, you know, we look back and we say 36 shots and that was 
Liverpool dominance, and they clearly was dominance. But personally, I thought at that stage they were slightly running out of ideas, Liverpool. I thought they were struggling to create chances, and the fact that they had so many shots was almost a sign of desperation from shooting from 30 yards or so. That said, obviously, if you take 36 shots compared to six there's a chance you will get lucky yeah. uh, with the deflections. Absolutely. It took Shakiri coming on to unlock the game. Why is that, do you think, Daniel? I think it, it speaks volumes about, about Liverpool's fringe players. I think that's probably the biggest difference between the two teams at the moment, or the two clubs at the moment, in that Manchester United, for example, went to Valencia in midweek. Mourinho made a whole host of changes. Nobody that came in impressed. And as is become the standard. Mourinho then called them out for it after the game and said, this is why I have to play the same team every week because the players that come in don't have any effect. Klopp seems to have the opposite effect. He seems to be able to keep players on the fringes of his squad motivated. You know, they, who comes to score a last win against Everton? Divock Origi. Who comes on to change the game against Manchester United? It's Jordan Shakiri. Who come and pl- plays at right back having, bare, you know, I'd almost forgotten about Nathaniel Klein and yet he comes in and shackles Marcus Rashford. There seems to be an ability of, from Liverpool players to step up to the occasion from the fringes and, and Manchester United players do neither and I think that probably says more about the manager's ability to motivate those players than it does about the players themselves. Mm. Another player who hadn't been any part of the starting line was Fabinho. Shout out to Julian mm. Laurence by the way, who at the start of this campaign said that he thought well, he thought the Crystal Palace would be going down and could still happen. But he also said Fabinho will be the signing of the season. I'm not sure either of those two yeah. predictions is that great. <laughs> okay. Did, I wish we could reproduce the face that Natalie's just pulled. But was Sunday's game not a step in that direction, Natalie? No, he was brilliant. Okay. Fabinho was, was absolutely brilliant. And uh, it was uh, his uh, sixth start uh, in Premier League matches, in, in the last eight matches. And he passed the ball so well. It was 28 passes forward. And he was very uh, confident. He really observed uh, the way uh, Liverpool plays. And he, he it took a while for him to, to get on the team, to, to have his, per, his first Premier League start. It it only start. It only happened in the twentieth of October, and now he seems so comfortable and he seems so confident on the pitch. And uh, it's really funny because uh, in the national team he's always called up as a right back, and now I think Titi will have to rethink that because he's doing really well in that position uh, on the midfield. His pass uh, for the first goal was just outstanding was was really impressive and uh, he seems to be very used to the physicality of the Premier League he's not a very well known player for uh, among uh, many Brazilians because he left Brazil in a very young age without playing uh, for the big teams in Brazil but now Everybody seems to be talking about him and how well he's been establishing himself in the Premier League and um He's maintaining the intensity of Liverpool. I think it was outstanding and he has a lot to offer to Liverpool. Who, who would be your signing of the season, Michael, then? Because you scoffed a little bit when I repeated what Julian said. Well, no, only just because he's he's only really established himself in the team. So I think, mm. I, I just don't think he's in that conversation. I mean, off the top of my head, I think Torreira has been fantastic. Right, that's a good shout, isn't it? Yeah, that's true. Uh, let's talk about Man United a bit more. Uh, mm. A performance described as the very worst of the Van Gaal era but with uh, $375 million extra spent on it. Already more league goals conceded, this is extraordinary, than the entirety of last season. Daniel, you made the comparison with Chelsea in fourteen fifteen under Mourinho. Yeah, I, as ever with Mourinho, because of his personality style, he demands a huge emotional buy-in from, from supporters at a club he goes to. There's a kind of cult of Mourinho that fans have to buy into because it's all or nothing. He's such a strong personality and he's such a talisman, you know, both both positively and negatively at a club that there's no other option. But he has managed to manage expectations down to the point that some Manchester United supporters and some neutrals, I think, look at that team and think, well, it's full of rotten players or, or rotten apples, one of the two, and, and that is the explanation for these problems. But Chelsea fans in 2014, they were blaming Cesc Fabregas, they were blaming Eden Hazard, and they were blaming Diego Costa. They were the three rats, according to that kind of infamous banner in at Stamford Bridge. And within a year, all three of those reputations had, had completely turned on their head to the extent that Chelsea won the league. So let's not pretend that a manager does not have the ultimate guidance over a squad of players. You know, there's there's players there who have been successful both at Manchester United before this season and at other clubs before coming to Manchester United. And 
it's not enough to say, oh, they're just not good enough, because mm. then that gives him the excuse to go, well, it's because we didn't spend X more money that I'm not successful. Right. Do you know what day it is today? It is December the 17th, which is the three-year anniversary of his sacking at Chelsea. It's too neat for it not for it to be coincidence. It's too neat. I mean, he isn't going to get sacked, by the way, because Manchester United, although Gary Neville might see them as this club that stands against the immediacy of modern life, that's nonsensical in this situation. The reason they won't sack him is because they're weak, because they will wait, and wait until they are mathematically certain of not qualifying for the Champions League before they sack him, which is exactly what they did with David Moyes and exactly what they did with Louis van Gaal. TG Fox says, would you give it to Carrick till the end of the season? Which would resolve that problem. They, they, will, they will wait. They will wait until right. it's... I, 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 what would Sorry. you do? I know, I know what you would do. Michael, yes. what would you do if you were in charge of Man United? Well, I'm not sure there's, there's necessarily the replacements lined up and I think it's easier to get replacement at the end of the season. So I think they might just have to persevere with him. OK, but one, one person who might be going before the end of the season, though, would be Paul Pogba. Is that fair? After being left on the bench again? I'd be surprised, to be honest. I think if United's board do have to choose between the two, I'd stick with Pogba, to be honest. I think there's much more chance of Pogba returning to his former glories than Mourinho, to be honest. Right, but if Mourinho's not going to move before the end of the season, are they just going to... No, but it's only only four or five months, isn't it? I, I, I just don't really see what you would... I don't see why you would sanction the sale of Pogba. Okay. Billy Hush says, would a Pogba Kante exchange deal allow both players to flourish... And rescue the beleaguered move. That's an interesting show, actually. That's Billy bold. Hodge. I like it. All right. I, don't, I honestly don't see Manchester United signing any big-name players in January, which is exactly what Mourinho wants. And again, he will paint that as Manchester United's failure. But why would any player looking at that, that the mood in that camp at the moment and speaking to anyone in that camp at the moment, why would any of them want to move to Manchester United? You know, there are reports of players complaining about poor medical treatment about poor about scouting about coaching about man management everything is broken under there at the moment so why would any player want to move there natalie have you spoken to fred how's he feeling yeah uh it's been it's been complicated uh, Mourinho recently explained why he he's not using fred that much because uh he said that there are other players who should be concerned in in defending players that uh, play a, a little bit, bit more forward and he can't use Fred now in these conditions while you, he has players that are more concerned about defending so Fred wouldn't have the freedom that he needs to uh, to play. It was very weird not seeing him, not even in the bench yesterday. You were talking about the atmosphere there uh, among the players. Uh, Mourinho was very offended yesterday when he was asked uh, if the players were playing for him, uh, he said, are you calling them dishonest? They're not dishonest and everything. But it's complicated because we know these kind of things affect the players. And they it, I don't even know if it's a matter or playing for him or not. But they are not. They, I feel like they don't. They don't feel motivated. Yeah, they don't seem emotionally invested. Yes, in, exactly. In yes, you see other teams in the Premier League that are very much involved with their managers, Liverpool, for example, or Spurs, like with Pochettino, and even Guardiola, how he manages to to push uh, the players to to a certain extent. And you really don't see that in in United. So I, I don't know if Mourinho should be that offended with if you went to work every day yes and you trained from the age of six onwards and you'd committed everything to being the best you can be mm. and you got any suspicion that your manager was actively and publicly reducing your chances of being able to be as good as you could be how could you be fully motivated we're not talking about not trying and trying we're talking about the gaps of five six percent between elite level and something just below elite level and and I, I can only see, Gary Neville said yesterday, none of these midfielders can pass the ball five or ten yards. That's a nonsense. Midfielders can pass the ball five or ten yards in lower non-league level. The, the, the point is that there's no kind of fluency and mm. cohesion between them. All right, well, Mourinho and the Man United problems, not news by any <laughs> means. Uh, although I would be surprised if he makes it to the end of the season based on the situation and his, his track record. Anything else we should add about Liverpool, who actually did win the game 3-1 and maintain their position on top of the table? Um, I thought Klopp did well. I think his starting system was different to what we expected. He's changed between the 4-2-3-1 and the 4-3-3. This was interesting because he played the personnel as if it was going to be a 4-3-3, but actually it was a 4-2-3-1. And I think that caused United real problems in the first half. 
and meant Mourinho changed system at, at half time. I also thought Andy Robertson was really key in the second half. Um, and Jesse Lingard seemed to switch off and let him pass him. Um, and if you look at the kind of final third entries for Liverpool in the second half, all down that left flank, and they just built pressure and eventually it told. Well, Liverpool maintained their position on top of the table. It ended all square, though, this weekend between Liverpool and Manchester because uh, City came back with a 3-1 against Everton on Saturday in balmy temperatures at the Etihad. We'll hear more about that after this. You're listening to The Totally Football Show with James Richardson. Right. Natalie, how cold was it at the Etihad on Saturday? It was uh, my worst experience in terms of temperatures in a a stadium, in a football stadium, yes. Okay, outside of a stadium? What... what... (laughs) Uh, I went to Finland once. Okay. So so that was uh, to the North Pole to to see the Aurora Boreal. So that was that was worse. Okay. But after the Aurora Boreal, it was Etihad Stadium. Wow. Yes. Yes. It was that cold. On first half, uh, I was behind the goal, right. so I was under the rain with the wind, having the whole experience. You know. Damn. And you were having? Were you talking live on TV? Yes. How difficult was that? Oh my God! The, the words they, they you yeah, don't articulate no. properly. Yes, it's it's terrible. It's like you're drunk. <laughs> it really. Uh, anyway, uh, Daniel, you were also there, mm. but you didn't have to speak except with your fingers. Yes, yes indeed. Um, yeah, I, I I wrote about Ilke Gundogan and Fernandinho. Yeah, I noticed that you wrote a piece on the two stars and spelt Jesus and Sané wrong. Yeah, no, I. Obviously, Jesus breaking his drought was fine and Sané assisting both goals was fine, but Everton's defending was wretched for the goals. Uh, I just There's something about watching those two in combination, which we quite rarely, we rarely so this see. this is Gundogan and Fenagini. Yeah, and we rarely see them because in Pep Guardiola's usual system, and if everyone was fit, it would have been the same on, on Saturday, I assume, there's generally only room for one of those players because City dominate the ball to an extent that they don't really need those two sort of firefighters. But when you watch them in combination, just sort of herring around the pitch, putting out fires, it's, it's so good to watch. I think Fernandinho made the most tackles, Gundogan won possession the most times. Gundogan created the most chances of any player on the pitch. Fernandinho assists Sterling's goal to clinch the game they're just they were everywhere and because there's two of them it becomes a much more convincing performance I think in central midfield Gundogan is you know his reputation is slightly slumped out of thought mm. at, at City just because of lack of opportunity and injury but yeah he still retains that passing ability that makes him pretty wonderful to watch All Right. was there a poignancy to this because they as you say won't be first choice when the, the likes of Kevin De Bruyne, who actually did come back on in this game, didn't he? Uh, get get their places back. And the same might go for Gabriel Jesus up front, yeah, uh, who, true. extraordinary, his first goals in, what, 11 games, 18 shots without finding the net since August, since essentially. August. You spoke to him before the game, Natalie. Uh I did. I I spoke to him after the match as well, oh. and uh, it was very interesting because uh, I'm going to tell a little uh, a little story that happened after the match because we were all uh, on the flash interview room. That's a room with uh, where we do those really quick uh, one-on-one interviews. Uh, so uh, Gabriel came. And uh, he was going to talk to us, to the Brazilian TV and to a, a Colombian TV channel as well. And he was going to talk to the Premier League. And uh, then the press officer, Carlos, who speaks uh, Portuguese really well, he came with Gabriel because he always translates Gabriel's interviews. And uh, Gabriel said to Carlos, oh, no, 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 it's OK. This one I, I want to do in English. So he gave his first uh, interview in English here in England. And why am I telling this story? Confidence. It, it, it's all over over the place you know uh Gabriel had a very tough year with injuries, with criticism in the World Cup. He was very criticized in Brazil because he didn't score the World Cup. He's 21. So uh, he needs to be on the pitch and that makes a huge difference for him. Of course, it's tough because he's in, he's at Man City that has heavy rotation. Mm. All the players stay on in the bench at some point. So he's, he's having problems, I think, coping with that, with that lack of sequence. And now that Aguero was out for a few matches, uh, he really, he, he did really well against Hoffenheim during the week on Champions League and now he scored uh, twice against Everton and he's 
his attitude on the pitch was different. He was much more confident. He was much more edgy. He was aggressive. He was everything that you expect from him. That that he actually showed when he he got here in in England, and and now he's having an opportunity to turn things around for him. All so, right. Yeah. At least he was, because Aguero is going to be fit again now. Yes. City coming out of their injury crisis when Pep only had 15 players and that. Kevin Abrunner on for 15, only his sixth appearance of the season. So it's going to be interesting to see how much Jesus figures. Of course, there's League Cup, isn't there, on uh, Tuesday. They're at Leicester and then they're at home to Palace at the weekend. Do you have any thoughts on Kevin? For me, I was wondering whether he was the rare example of a player who didn't improve under Pep Guardiola, but apparently I was wrong about that. Yeah, I mean, if you look at his stats this season, he's been getting into good positions but not providing the finishers. And I always think that's that's better than a player who you just don't notice, who, you know, you're better off missing chances than you are not getting the chances at all um, when you've got a track record of his finishing. I like the second goal, actually, um, the, the header from uh, Sané's cross. More for what happened just before. Um, since he moved to Bayern, Guardiola's put a lot more emphasis upon crossing. And one of the things he does work on is getting a good structure outside the penalty box. So it's amazing how often the opposition clear the ball straight to one of their players and they play a quick combination. It was Delph in a kind of narrow position, which we've, you know, become accustomed to him him taking up and playing it outside to Sané. And I think that's the kind of, weirdly, that's the kind of goal that Guardiola will quite like because it's one of the things he's worked on a lot in the last few years. Mm, nice. And uh, nice headed finish from Raheem as well uh, to make it three and cap off a, a big week for Raheem Sterling, obviously gave a real kick to the whole uh, anti-racism mm. uh, narrative. Uh, Daniel, you've you've been writing about a lot of this stuff for a long time, even before Henry Winter. <laughs> Although obviously it's not a competition. Uh, it isn't a competition, and and the events of the last week are important, not because anyone has written about it, but because Raheem Sterling has spoken up about it. And I said I don't suspect Raheem Sterling said those words or posted that on Instagram because he wanted to make himself any sort of talisman or the leader of any sort of movement. He did it because he, he thought what he was wanted to say was right and mm. it was right. But it will make him a leader of that movement. He doesn't have to do anything else other than be himself. But we've already seen a, a sea change. Um you know I don't Thursday night in Hungary, there were reports of anti-Semitic chanting from Chelsea fans and UEFA will investigate those. Um, but there's a brilliant piece, very quickly, there's a brilliant piece by, by Jonathan Liu for The Independent last week in which he's, he made the valid point that in this country we only see racism as chanting or abuse or incidents. Um, whereas actually what Raheem Sterling has done inadvertently or otherwise is married the two forms of racism together he said yes there were these incidents but that's because there's a structure in place behind those incidents that allows them to fester and until we change the structure we won't change the incidents and Mm. yeah hopefully we move in the right direction Ah Christmas the time of generosity, great food terrible television, even worse jumpers and a packed Premier League fixture list and nobody does generosity at Christmas like Paddy Power. We're giving money back as a free bet on at least one game in every round of fixtures. The only people paying out as much this Christmas will be Man United when they inevitably terminate their manager's contract. Ah you'd be a turkey to bet anywhere else. Paddy Power enough of that nonsense. Applies to first bet on all losing goal scorer, correct score, and Wattles Paddy bets. Max refund £10. T's and C's apply. 18 plus. BeGambleAware.org. On Spotify, smart speaker, and podcast platforms everywhere, this is the Totally Football Show from Muddy Knees Media. Listeners, you've probably seen they've gone and done the draw for the last 16 of the Champions League. Have they done the Europa League as well yet? Yeah? That's 12. the key one They're for me. After. The 12 o'clock. All right, well, we'll have that later on in the show. But right now, I'm not going to read out all eight matches. Why don't you just pick one each that you're excited by? Natalie, you go first. Okay, uh, Spurs Dortmund. Oof, for sure, for that was sure. My choice. Oh, yeah. too bad. <laughs> <laughs> Every, no, everybody points out Dortmund as probably the most exciting team in Europe today. So, and, and against Tottenham, who's not going to be a team that's going to just definitely not going to just defend against Dortmund. Uh, the atmosphere is going to be amazing. Indeed. So, yeah. Yeah. And also wait, in Dortmund. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. No, the, I was kidding because obviously <laughs> the yellow right. wall. Come the on. The yellow wall. Yes. No, in Dortmund, who this weekend uh, crowned themselves winter champions, a whole two rounds early. Yes. Uh, after seven years of Bayern dominance in this department, Bayern are nine points behind them. Uh, Dortmund. It's remarkable, isn't it? Because this isn't a team who spent a huge amount to reinforce. They actually sold off who? Obama Yang, Dembele went to Barcelona. They made a huge profit last summer. But then through uh, smart signings, the likes of 
Jaden Sancho, of course, and Alex Witzel, who clever people say is the most key. Michael, I bet you're going to say he's probably the key to the, the whole thing. Is that right, Alex Witzel? I would say clever people call him Axel Witzel rather than Alex Witzel. <laughs> I think this country's had enough of clever people. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> Axel Witzel. And, um, and this, is, this is fun. Pa- Paco Alcacer, of course, who is the, the, yeah. the, the biggest impact sub in impact subdom. Uh, I read in the Gazeta de la Sport, so you know it must be true, that they actually bought him through what the paper describes as like a, a Tinder for players. The sporting director of Dortmund apparently was looking at a, an app. Uh, his name's Zork. And he was flicking through these players and Paco Alcacer came up and he clicked on I like and apparently Paco also clicked on it. Genuinely... I don't think they're being ironic. Gazette says that's how it happened. And they did the deal. I mean, I believe that there's some kind of software. I'm unconvinced it's exactly like swiping. But, um, <laughs> no, yeah. I believe it because it's the better version. It's the best yeah. version. Yes, I, I'm, I'm buying this one. Spurs this weekend came from Barcelona to Burnley and I think a little bit of a fall off in te- of intensity as a result. Burnley, looking back to their kind of rugged defensive best, uh, but a 1-0 win for Spurs. Michael, do give us a, a game that's particularly exciting you. I really like Atletico Madrid against Juventus. I think over the last five years, probably in a tactical sense, they've been the best two teams around really? in the European Cup. I mean, both lost twice in finals. They obviously don't have the stars of Barcelona and Real Madrid, but I think in, in organisational terms, Simeone and Allegri have both been fantastic. Daniel? I like Liverpool by Munich. I think Klopp clearly has that that history and um, post-Champions League final defeat to the same team. Um, Bayern, by that stage, could well have a new manager and could well have a kind of new mood. So I think they will be, you know, almost like Juventus have been in the last few years. I think Do you they'll... think, really, that Bayern are going to change Niko Kovac? I think if their form continues to limp through, then, yeah, they might. I think the only reason they haven't done it so far is that there are not really any obvious options. Right. Um, but, yeah, it will be interesting to see. Liverpool by Munich, in my head, that feels like a very unfamiliar tie. I can't remember them playing that often, which is unusual given they are two kind of, sort of giants of European football. So, yes, I'm looking forward to that one. But it's funny, it's like our uh, our friend Paolo Bandini always says this about the Champions League draw. So much can change in the next two months. You know, you look at this draw and, for example, Dortmund look like they're flying. Mm. Two months' time, you never know. The couple of defeats, they you know, it could be a completely different situation. So it's weird how it kind of takes a massive winter break for two months and you get back and it's different teams, different managers. We don't even know which stadium Tottenham will be playing that game. Yeah. And never mind yeah, that's true. what form. Very but how true. different could be... United and PSG in two months. Again, that was going to be my next step, my <laughs> game B. I am sorry. No, that's okay. But it's a, it's a fascinating, it's a fascinating clash of ideologies and so much more. Uh, Man United, who are only slightly outspent by PSG uh, in, in in recent years, and uh, wow, that's going to be it's it's a tough draw for a team famed for their ability to pick an easy opponent out of a hat. So. Hmm. All right. Uh, Good. We'll talk more about draws and that kind of thing later on because, of course, there's the Europa League draw to come. But having mentioned Spurs winning 1-0 at Burnley, Chelsea, their rivals for a top-four spot, also won that was uh, away at Brighton, 2-1. Arsenal, meanwhile, they went to the south coast. They had an unbeaten record of 22 matches. They were taking on a Southampton team that hadn't won in 14. And, Michael, of course, Saints won 3-2. Yeah, it was an interesting game. Obviously, Hassan Hootel's first uh, match in the home dugout. The fans all got a free pint on their entry, which is uh, mm. a good way to uh, introduce yourself. Yeah, it was... Did he pay for that, or was that the club on his behalf? I expect it was the club on his behalf, but it was phrased as if he'd literally... Because that would be a bit desperate, him. wouldn't yeah. it? <laughs> yeah, it would be my mates. A little bit OTT. <laughs> I'm not sure whether people would have gone for a pint or a hot, you know, hot drink in that kind of conditions, actually. But, really? Uh, yeah, but it was an interesting game. I mean, there was a big difference from Southampton. They played much higher up the pitch than what we would have expected under Hughes. More going back to the kind of way they played under Pochettino and to a certain extent Koeman. And they were quite fortunate, really. They're up against an Arsenal side who... I mean, Arsenal have got eight defenders at the club. Two are suspended, two are out injured, two got injured during the game and two, Koscielny and Monreal, have just come back from injuries and clearly weren't 100% fit. And sure enough, Arsenal conceded three goals from crosses and headers. So it it was actually quite a good first game for, for Hasenhutl, I think. All right. When they're all fit, do Arsenal actually have a decent set of defenders? 
I think they're okay. I, I don't think there's one defender they can really build their team around. Right. I think there's there's mistakes in all of them. It's great to see Koscielny back because that's a really serious injury he got. I mean, an Achilles. I, when that happened, I wondered whether he would play for Arsenal again. But over the last couple of years, I think his lack of mobility has been increasingly obvious. I wouldn't blame him for the goals in this game because... You know, he's not 100% fit. I don't think he would have been playing had others been available. But I'm not sure he's the force of old Koscielny. Okay. Very exciting match. Shane Pipe says, show some love for the Shane Long cross for the Austin winner, which enables me to mention stat of the day. This is from uh, Duncan Alexander, who says, only one of Shane Long's 30 Premier League goals have come from long range, but all 30 have come from long range. Good. Yeah. It was it was a good cross. I, I initially thought he'd kind of, not bottled because that's too extreme a term, but he'd kind of deliberately passed up the opportunity to run at goal himself and kind of just aimlessly chipped into the box. I think Austin's run made it, but so too did Bert Leno coming out for a cross that, you know, he was very close to getting a touch on the ball. But if you don't get a touch on the ball in that circumstance and you give Austin an open goal, then you have to be at fault for that goal. So, yeah, uh, it's a strange one, Southampton, because you look at Long and Austin and they're just, there clearly aren't enough goals there. But if they get Danny Ings firing, you know, those two headers yesterday were both in very different ways. Absolutely brilliant finishes. And there aren't too many players in the Premier League. Maybe Salomon Rondon is one who can play that sort of target man role for a club lower down the league. I suspect Southampton have higher ambitions than playing with a target man and scoring those types of goals moving forward. But for this season, it's perfect. Mm. Well, for now, they move out of the bottom three, albeit on goal difference. Arsenal, meanwhile, slipped to three points behind Chelsea in fifth place. Um, one other point I thought was interesting was in the last minute, uh, Hasenhutl brought on youngster Tyreek Johnson. Now, I know nothing about him, but I thought that was an interesting move because this is a club who over the last 10 years, have a great history of bringing through youth players. And the fans really, really... I know all fans like seeing a young player come through, but I think at Southampton, that is really important. And just giving, you know, two minutes to this guy was just a kind of feel-good thing that almost said, ah, I understand your club, I understand what you're about. And and the fans, uh, the, the atmosphere looked absolutely amazing. It was the, their first win at St. Mary's since April. Their, their wow. first win in the Premier League since April. So at home, at home, mm. exactly. So that was pretty remarkable. But and I already like Hasan Hotel because I like his attitude on pitch side. He's very entertaining. <laughs> at the end of the match, he apologized. He didn't shake hands with Unai because he was so excited and he wanted to celebrate with his players. But after the match, uh, Unai said something that I thought it was very interesting. He said, "He said uh, we were uh, 22 matches uh, without a defeat, and still we are fifth in the Premier League." So that shows how high the level is. You you can't drop too many points, and and that's what Unai that was Unai's point. We can't drop too many points. Of course, we we had an incredible run, but we can't keep dropping points. Otherwise, we're just going to stay really behind. Mm. Yeah. No, it's a fascinating point. Also, the one about Hasenhutl because uh, it was really charming when after the first goal when he went to celebrate. Yeah. Because you know how managers do that thing of I'm not going to celebrate, almost like people walking away from explosions. I don't and like I, that. Well, I don't know. How do you do that? Yeah. How, how could you? But he obviously can't. And then he had to check, <laughs> check himself halfway. He is, he's known as the, the Alpine Klopp. And you can see why. The because Alpine Klopp. That's his, that's his like nickname, that. yeah. Yes, I like that. He's, so, the mannerisms are so similar in terms of that almost a showy, I, I'm not, I'm going to calm myself down followed by an absolute lack of calm when anything then happens. He's, he's, a, he's a touchline dancer. It's every decision he's turning around from the game and sort of screaming at fourth officials. I know there is a respect campaign to uphold, but he is very good value. Listeners, our friends at Beer 52 are back with a special offer to make Christmas that little bit more magical or indeed manageable by offering you a case of craft beer for free. We love Beer 52 here at the Totally Football Show. They're the largest craft beer club on the planet and search out exclusive small batch booze from the world's greatest breweries and bring them back for their members. This month, Beer 52 is uppering up a selection of Bristol's finest light and dark beers such as Firebrand's Juicy 5.5% New England IPA, the Hazy and Hoppy Kellner Pilsner from Lost and Grounded and Harbour's Citrusy Ellensburg Session IPA. If all that sounds like your type of thing, sign up now at beer52.com football and you'll get eight spectacular craft beers, some delicious bar snacks and Beer 52's award-winning magazine ferment. All you have to do is pay £5.95 for next day delivery. And if you decide that after this free taster that the club isn't for you, there's no catch. You can leave Beer 52 at any time. 
Just head to beer52.com slash football and enter the code football to claim your free case today. That's beer52.com slash football. Listener, special announcements. Well, uh, we've got a Football League podcast. Carolyn Barker and company will be here with you for that. Tuesday afternoon, what might they be talking about? Well, it could be Leeds back on top of the table. Five wins in a row. Incredible title race going on there in the Championship, Daniel. They're one point ahead of plucky Norwich. Yes, uh, the typical writer's curse of praising Norwich last week to see them draw at Bristol City, although they are still punching way, way, way above their financial weight. Right, OK. And is there an article anywhere that I might be able to find out more details yeah, of that I story? I think it was 442 last week I wrote for. You literally don't know anymore you, which... No. Which, out, <laughs> which says nothing for outlet me. Outlet you're... Right, OK. <laughs> Uh, okay, have you written anything about Portsmouth? They're top of League One still. Uh, I'm going down there soon. Are you? Yes. Okay, nice. Yeah, they are top of League One. How about League Two where Silky Sol Campbell got his first league win as Macclesfield manager? 2-0 at home to Crawley. There you go. <laughs> Caroline Barker, she'll be around Tuesday with more of that kind of thing. Andrew Slaven and the totally Scottish football mob uh, will be here straight after us, actually, to record their thoughts on... Scottish football, anything else they fancy. It's been a mixed week, as you know, Michael, for Rangers. Of course, they went top of the table this weekend because um, Celtic got beaten 2-0 by Hibs. Rangers beat Hamilton 1-0. But last uh, Thursday, you know, the, the smiles were on other faces. Celtic going through because of Rosenberg drawing at Leipzig. So they made it through to the last 32 of the Europa League, but Rangers didn't. They lost 1-0 to... I enjoyed Brendan Rodgers, who said after the game, said, you cannot doubt the spirit of these players to qualify tonight. Um, They were fantastic. And I thought, you lost. The only reason he went through is that Leipzig conceded at home to Rosenberg in the last minute. And yet all he was doing was praising how brilliantly his players had played that evening. He's Brendan Rodgers. That's what he does. That is very much what he does, yes. All right. (coughs) Who wants to go back to the Premier League? Yeah. All right, Michael. Did you watch Fulham West Ham? Yes. Brilliant. Uh, West Ham got their fourth win in a row. Not since the days of Big Sam Allardyce have they had such a string of successes. Yeah. um, The game was over pretty quickly. And West Ham. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, they won the game within the first half hour. They were much better than Fulham who still look a complete shambles defensively. I thought the second goal scored by Antonio was bizarre because I had to rewind three times to work out where their left back had ended up and it was actually in a kind of right of centre midfield position, which was why Antonio got so much space at the far post. But they're playing very well. I mean, Anderson again was really influential down the left and Robert Snodgrass after, you know. His recent explanations about no longer having to commute. Did you read this? No, I didn't see that. He said, um, you know, he was supposedly out of shape at the start of the campaign. Right. And last season he was on loan to Villa while still living in London. And he supposedly said to Pellegrini, well, you try trying to stay healthy when you're commuting up and down the motorway and you have to eat at service stations every day. It's a fair point. Which I thought was a fantastic explanation. No, no, it's, I absolutely it's get that. just KFC or Burger King, isn't well, it? Well, yeah, also because even if you're not hungry, if you're on a journey, and a journey that's boring, which one that you're doing every day must be, mm. you're just going to eat. Minstrels and opal fruits for me. It, would that be your... Mm, okay. So now it's only apparently a five-minute journey between his house and, and West Ham's training ground, so he doesn't need to... He doesn't feel peckish <laughs> on the way. Right. It's it's those fine margins again, isn't it? Absolutely. All right, the the, the Snodgrass redemption one of m- one of the many things that people are praising uh, Pellegrini for. Also, Chicharito's become a, a force again, and uh, yeah, all, all fabulous. I mean, if we go back to Jules's thing about signing of the season, I yeah. think Anderson's probably up there. Isn't you think? He? Yes. I mean, it's been fantastic. Five goals in the last seven Premier League matches. He's mm. the top scorer in the in West Ham with six goals. He's been doing really well. He's been getting along with his attacking teammates, him and Arnautovic and even Antonio. Uh, he, he, he brought this edge to West Ham that I think it was lacking last season and it was lacking in the start of the season. And uh, he, he brings a new pace to West Ham's attack. He feels very comfortable at the Premier League. He's very confident. It's impressive how fast, how quick he established himself in West Ham. I'm, I'm impressed. And I've, I've seen uh, Felipe Anderson playing in Brazil mm-hmm. and a little bit in Italy. And I'm still impressed. I wasn't expecting so much from him. He's, he's overcoming expectations for sure. <laughs> On Anderson, there used to be this kind of perception that 
you know, Brazilians didn't like it here when it gets cold, as Natalie has demonstrated for us already. <laughs> yes. but, but Anderson actually was inconsistently good at the start of the season. But, you know, now he's really coming to his own. So That's he's true. He's flipping the narrative. Wow, I like that. Well, meanwhile, struggling to flip Fulham's narrative is uh, that man, Claudio Ranieri. Lazily, I'd rather assume that him turning up was going to be sorted, you know, job done for, for Fulham, but apparently not. Yeah, I mean, the funny thing about Leicester's title winning campaign was I think it took them about 11 games to keep a clean sheet. So it even there, he needed time to get the defence in shape. And then I think from that point, they kept clean sheets in 50% of the games onwards. But at the start of the season, it was a kind of, kamikaze ride every week so I, th- I think I think defending usually is about organisation more than individuals I think individuals make more of a difference in the final third but Fulham have got a couple of defenders who just don't look suited to this level right. and I think they will need to get players in in January they've, okay. also, they've also stopped scoring goals they've only scored twice in the last four league games which given that they're still conceding at a rate of over two goals a game in terms of results, they're, they're not getting any better at the moment mm. I mean Ranieri has only had a short amount of time of course but yeah, it needs to change pretty quickly for Fulham because yeah. or, or perhaps not that quickly because in, in the kind of the inverse of what you were saying about Arsenal's predicament at the top, whereby they have twenty-two games unbeaten, but they're still they're still what three points off the Champions League positions. Fulham have had a horrendous start mm. to this campaign, and they're only three points from safety. Yeah, yeah. that's true. Uh, but the the only Premier League team without a clean sheet uh, at this point, it it really uh, it's something to worry about. Forty-two goals. In, in 17 matches it's 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 very high worth at <laughs> <laughs> it's very high and and uh Ranieri for now just one win one draw and three losses mm. so yeah well, of course it's it's uh, he just arrived and and I, I agree uh when uh when we say that he needs time to to adjust the defend the, the defensive part but even Mitrovic he was scoring so much yeah and mm-hmm. and now it what, what's happening, you know? I mean, they're playing so much deeper, aren't they? You know, yeah. when they're they have playing had some tough football, games, to be fair. They have. But I think with Mitrovic, you know, he liked playing in a possession team because he was almost always 30 yards from goal. And now Fulham are playing so deep and he's not a counter-attacker. He did play one very good ball for, for Kamara in the early stages. He really wasted the chance. But they're not really going to be playing to Mitrovic. I, I can't imagine I many less suited players to a relegation battle than Andre Schürrle as well at the moment, mm. who is a kind of eternal sunshine player at a club like this. When He tends to be consistent over a period of about 30 or 40 minutes rather than 30 or 40 matches. And he's just, again, on, he's just, it's not enough for Fulham. There's not enough steel there. And the defender, as, as Michael says quite rightly, the individual defenders are not good enough that there needs to be more steel elsewhere on the pitch. Otherwise, mm. they're just going to flounder. All right, well, there's reports of maybe interest for Gary Cahill. I'm sure there's a bunch of other yeah, names. That would be a good sign, yeah. to be fair. That yeah. would be good. Uh, certainly seems to be surplus to requirements uh, over at Chelsea. And his commute wouldn't be that far either. <laughs> Presumably think, which could not, be key. No. Uh, other games this weekend included Ranieri's old side Leicester losing 1-0 at Palace, despite the fact the Palace didn't have Wilfred Sahar in their lineup. The first time that there's been a kind of... Those two facts have aligned in two years... Palace, they remain within three points of the drop. Do you know, there's four games here that we haven't talked about yet. The uh, Newcastle winning at Huddersfield, uh, Watford beating Cardiff and Wolves-Bournemouth. Huddersfield-Newcastle, yes. there is a very interesting stat in this match because uh, Huddersfield had 74 possession. Uh, 74% and, possession? Yes, percent possession. It was the highest percent uh, possession this season with a losing game. It's extraordinary to have that yes. kind of... And still lose dominance, the match. yeah. Yes, four straight defeats for for others. And only ten goals scored in that time. An hour mm. and out until February. Right. Uh, some big games coming up for both of those sides. Huddersfield are hosting Saints, and Newcastle have Fulham. So it's all kind of relegation six pointers ahoy. And then after that, Huddersfield have to go to Old Trafford, while Newcastle visit Anfield. And what will be an emotionally charged match for? A certain Rafa Benitez. Mm. Tell us about Watford, Daniel. Uh, just a, a point on their and a point of praise on their recruitment, um, because for a long time Watford were kind of mocked, including by me, um, for their sort of Udinese and Granada transfer strategy. But over the last couple of years, they've completely changed that, and they've probably got now one of the most effective and efficient recruiting and scouting systems in well in Europe amongst smaller clubs. You look at the team at the moment. Kiko Firmino arrived on a free. Um, 
They've got Ken Seema, who I think cost about a million from Ostersund in Sweden. They've got uh, Domingos Kina, who they paid two or three million euros for, I think, for, to West Ham. Scored a wonderful goal here. He did it? score a wonderful goal. Then Abdullah Decore looks like he can make it at the top level. He cost nine million. Uh, Roberto Pereira cost 11 million. I think th- those six players together cost, I think I worked out, cost less than the profit they made on Richarlison in the summer. Wow. And that sort of thing, that sort of recruitment strategy can completely reinvent a club and it, it kind of is at Watford you know they have they will go through bad patches because you know they haven't got the financial capability but well, this was their first win in seven and, yeah exactly and even with that they're on the same points as Everton yeah they're 10th they're in the top half still it's um, remarkable and with the kind of with a new contract given to Gracia it clearly looks like they're trying to change the whole short term cycle as well so yeah, I like Javi, Javi Gracia. You do? Yes, I do very much. He's a lovely person and and he he has a very interesting vision of what he can do for Watford and his limitations as well. And interesting thing about this match, first game of the season with three goals outside the box. It was very eventful, uh, Watford and Cardiff. And Neil Warnock, I don't know... <laughs> He's always saying something that that strikes the attention. Yeah. Yes. So after this match, uh, his goalkeeper, uh, he he went outside the box to to do a save. I, I don't know if you could help me describe the the uh, what happened, but Dini and yes, Etheridge. yeah, yes. Dini kind of. Uh, it was a skiddy pitch, and Dini had every right to go for the ball, but he also yeah, had every right to move his legs out the way. Yes, yeah. and, and yeah. Warnock said, uh, the reporter asked, oh, okay, uh, uh, a show of bravery, and he was, uh, yes, bravery and stupidity as well. Right. <laughs> like, what? <laughs> That's straightforward. He blamed, yeah, the, I, re- he blamed the ref. He's, he's, he's done this before, Warnock, and he said, Andy Madley was the ref, and he's a new ref in the Premier League, and he refereed the game perfectly well. And Warnock said, it's a disgrace that we have... Uh, what he called a Sunday trainee um, oh, yeah. as a ref. Um, why should we get these? And you think, well, he's only ever going to become a Premier League referee if he referees in the Premier League. And yeah. the reality is he's not going to be given Liverpool-Manchester United on Sunday as his first game. That's how these things work. It's such a tiresome deflection tactic, that. I just think a time when we're running out of referees because they feel like there's not a lot going for the profession and the abuse they receive, especially at non-league level, makes it not worth them bothering. It's just so tiresome to be kind of mocked as a Sunday trainee for just wanting to be a ref, basically. Yeah. Getting his go. I think that's fair, Daniel. I can understand, though, why uh, Neil was... uh... Oh, I think it was a yellow card, the challenge, yeah. But it wasn't the game-changing incident. Mm. Uh, Did you want to talk about Wolves-Bournemouth at all? 2-0 win for Nuno Spirito Santos? Yeah, it was an interesting game. I mean, both sides playing a three-man defence. I think there were nine teams in the Premier League this weekend that played a back three, which is the highest of the year so far. Lots of teams able to shift between the two systems, um, as Bournemouth did here, although Wolves have been committed to it throughout the season. I thought it was nice to see Jimenez getting another goal. I gave him a bit of stick two weeks ago for not scoring but he is now scoring, and I think his link-up play has been good. He's combined well with Doherty and Helder Costa and Jota and all these players who are good at making forward runs. So mm. they, they've they've come good after a little wobble. As, yeah. as I think I said before, I think they've played at almost the same level every game this season. I don't think they've ever been terrible. I don't think they've ever been spectacular, but yeah. they've just they've kind of had breaks in some games and had not had breaks in other games. And people were speaking about them as having almost a mini crisis, but. They weren't ever outplayed, so I'm pleased mm. they've come Well, back. they're seventh now after their third win in a row. They're only one point behind Man United. have a much of a, a benchmark you want to make that. We will have uh, official Wolves fan Lindsay Hooper with us on Thursday. So if you like, chat about Wolves. Yeah. Should have that in abundance. You're listening to The Totally Football Show, sponsors of Melchester Rovers. Find out more at RoyTheRoversOfficial.com. Here's listener Rob, who says, when is World's Strongest Man on? (laughs) (laughs) I'm glad you asked, Rob. Uh, It's actually starting, it might, well, the preliminaries, there's the the kind of preliminary bit, and that's going on at the moment, I think every night, but the, uh, on Channel 5, but the actual, the main event where they get the 30 biggest men in the world, uh, and they drop them off in the Philippines, actually, excitingly, this year, Natalie, uh, that'll be starting on the 27th of December. And the grand final, since you ask, yes. is on the 1st of January. What a way to see in the new year <laughs> with a new World's Strongest Man because the, the, the current holder of that illustrious title, Eddie Hall, didn't compete this year, having almost destroyed himself, having driven himself to the point of 
basically almost extinction <laughs> in his efforts to 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 take the to bring the trophy home to Britain. Um, he's he, he's he's standing on the sidelines and co-presenting with me. I'm oh. co-presenting with him probably. That's all looking uh, something to look forward to. Here's John Smith. How about the Europa League draw, Daniel? Mm. Yes, I'm following it live as we speak. Has it happened now? Uh, it's being drawn now. And oh, right. the, last, the last ex- uh, um, last post on the BBC website is, this is going to take forever. OK, Don't good. Follow. I've got some other stuff we can kind of eke this podcast out with until we get there. Let me just mention that uh, this Wednesday you'll be able to enjoy Golazzo, a special Golazzo di Natale, which will be about Di Natale in a happy uh, coincidence. <laughs> the great Totò. We'll also be discussing Panettone Bolente, which was the excellent headline on the Gazetta this weekend after basically a miserable week in Europe uh, has suggested that there's uh, a likelihood of a change of, of managers at se- several Serie A clubs. Of course, any week in Italy. <laughs> it's, it's, but there's been all sorts of stuff like uh, fans planting crosses with people's names on, on the pitch in Bologna and unpleasant stuff like that. Uh, also, we'll, we'll mention the Turin derby, I'm sure, which Juve won. One nil. That's nice. Wednesday. You know what's happening on Wednesday, Michael? There's some... Club uh, World Cup. Absolutely right. <laughs> oh. In Abu Dhabi. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Real Madrid, who've won the last two Club World Cups, yep. will be playing their semi-final. They face Kashimir Antlers, who they beat in the final in 2016. Do you remember they were the surprise finalists? They, it was 4-2. Kashimir Antlers have booked their spot in the semi and a chance at revenge... Uh, by beating Guadalajara 3-2. That's exciting, isn't it? Do you know, it w- wouldn't it be amazing? Real Madrid have been struggling a bit of late. They got beaten at home by CSK Moscow and away. Wouldn't it be crazy if Kashimir Antlers, the, the club with the best name in world football, <laughs> uh, beat them? Whoever does get through will face the winner of River Plate versus Al Ain, but no idea who that might be. Uh, Real Madrid this weekend in their final match in the Liga got booed off after defeating Rayo Vallecano. Their local rivals 1-0. Elsewhere in the Liga... Barcelona went to Levante. Last May they went there hoping to record an unbeaten season. It didn't work out for them. Levante beat them 5-4, Daniel. Mm. What happened this time? Uh, Lionel Messi beat them 5-0. Pretty much. Yeah, a hat-trick and two assists for the fifth best player in the world. Crazy, no? Crazy. (laughs) They're three points clear of Sevilla and Atletico Madrid. Uh, Yeah, that's what's happening in Spain. What's happening in Brazil, Natalie? Nothing because the championship's over. Okay. <laughs> Absolutely nothing. Just the speculation over transfers. So very boring time in Brazil. In France, not much happening there either. A fifth weekend of yellow vest protests accounted for the postponement of games at various places. Four matches went ahead. Strasbourg wore special shirts to honour the victims of Tuesday's shooting in the city. They got beaten 2-1 by Reims. And Monaco got ranced as well. Uh, that was 3-0, their defeat to Leon. Speaking of yellow jackets in football, did you see Maran Fellaini's sh- uh, shot? Yes. Yeah, which took out one of the, the stewards it standing did. over by the corner flag. I think he was trying to control it, wasn't he, the steward? He wasn't was he? trying to get out of the way. I think he was trying to be clever. Poor reactions if he was genuinely caught unawares by a ball coming from that distance that he could see the whole way. Mm. Had a lot of bend on it. All right, then. How's that Europa League draw going? Uh, well, Arsenal have got Bate Borisov. Brilliant. Uh, which is probably not a very exciting draw for Arsenal fans because they played a lot in last year's group stage. Oh, did they? Arsenal won 6-0 at home and 4-2 away. Mm. And Chelsea have got... Who Chelsea got, Daniel? Uh, Chelsea got Malmo. Um, Losing European Cup finalists, it should be said, in 1979. Bingo. And who did they play, Daniel? They played Nottingham Forest. Which is the only reason I know that. I see. Other exciting draws include Sevilla taking on Lazio and Sporting against... Who was Sporting? Sporting against Villarreal. Ooh, oh, and Celtic and Valencia. Celtic and Valencia. That's yeah. that's interesting. Not sure what to make of that. That's, but, a, that, that's got 12,000 Celtic fans going to Valencia written all over it, hasn't mm. it? Lucky old Valencia. <laughs> One Champions League tie that we didn't mention was Real Madrid's opponent, who are Ajax who've been garnering a lot of praise, Michael, uh, not just for their performance in the Champions League, but also in the Eredivisie. 
Yeah, them and uh, PSV are flying at the top of the league. Ajax won 8-0 this weekend, which isn't that unusual for the Eredivisie. What was unusual was two players scored hat-tricks in the same game. One was Hakim Ziyech, uh, Mm. who scored a fantastic hat-trick. And the other one was more surprising, was uh, Daley Blind, who was playing centre-back. I think only at Ajax would you ever get a centre-back scoring a hat-trick. One of them was an absolute brilliant long-range drive. And the other one came pretty much with the last kick of the game. And it's quite funny because you can just see Daily Blind running forward, kind of like if a cat has just done something naughty, it does a very particular run away from the incident, knowing it shouldn't be there. And Daily Blind does this run forward from centre-back into the box, thinking, this is my only chance in my career to get a hat-trick, and I'm going to get one. And he does. It's great. Excellent. I'm looking for. I'm going to have a look at this naughty cat run. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's like a subtle, they know what they've done and they want to get away quickly, but without anyone noticing. I love videos about animals doing funny yeah, things there's a great much. one about a, a, a dog honking a horn <laughs> anyway um let's get odds on some of the things we've been discussing producer ben's been talking to paddy power thank you very much jimbo and as the show hurtles towards its conclusion i'm joined by lee price from paddy power as usual and lee you're feeling a bit poorly today so we'll keep this short and sweet boo-hoo um let's start with liverpool please i'm a liverpool fan they're top of the table are they going to stay there until the end of the season they're looking good, aren't they? But they're not favourites of us yet. In previous years, a defeat of United would have been enough to make the bookies start believing, but not this season. Liverpool remain behind Manchester City in the betting. Guardiola's men odds on, as they have been since they won the title last season, with Liverpool 12-5 to to win the title. As for Mourinho, we're a bit more cut and dry about this one. It feels inevitable that he's going to go, as the crew were talking about earlier. It's 8-5 to that he's the next Premier League manager to leave their post, the clear favourite, and it's odds on he's gone by Christmas Day. OK, let's head to Manchester City quickly. Raheem Sterling scored the third goal as they beat Everton 3-1. A headed goal, no less. Uh, what are the odds, please, on him being named Player of the Year? I think this is a great tip. He's third in the betting for us, Sterling, at 6-1. to Jimbo's favourite, David Silva, is ours too at 9-4, to with the resurgent Eden Hazard second in our betting at 10-3. to Also in contention, we've got Mo Salah at 10-1 to and my value pick, Virgil van Dijk, at 14-1. to and it's quarterfinals time in the Carabao Cup this midweek. What are the chances, though, of a Leicester-Bournemouth League Cup final? So we've done the equations, we've plotted the course through the tournament uh, and we think it's a bold selection given their draw in the quarterfinal. But Leicester versus Bournemouth in the League Cup final is 66-1, to 1, which is quite a chunky price if you do fancy it. You can find out these odds and more at paddypower.com. All prices are accurate at the time of recording. It's 18 plus only. BeGambleAware.org. And when the fun stops, stop. We're going to be back on Thursday with a bumper pod. It's got James Horncastle in it, Lindsay Hooper, as I mentioned, also Jack Lang and Emma Saunders. So that's that's going to be busy, which is not a bad thing because we're not back uh, until after Christmas. After that, So, you know... Yeah. Uh, what are you going to be doing for Christmas, uh, Natalie? Yeah, I'll be around uh, doing you sound uh, video excited calls. About it. Yes, <laughs> I'll be around doing video calls with my family who's in Brazil. All right. How long have you been away from Brazil? Uh, two years now. Two right. So years. this is your it's second something. Christmas. It's my third Christmas, third. actually. Yes, because yeah. I arrived in September. So yeah, I'll be eating a lot because okay. that's the p- best part. What you is there something you really like about Christmas over here? I love Christmas, and I love I have always loved Christmas, but here it makes more sense because it's cold. cold. Yes, exactly. Yeah. So the thing I like more about Christmas here is definitely Christmas jumper. Yes, I love it. Like yeah, because you can you can Tradition pull this. Since the eight hundreds. <laughs> <laughs> you can pull it off in Brazil, you know. So so here it yeah. makes sense. Everybody uses it. it. It's 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 amazing. I love it. And every time I use one uh-huh. and I post a picture, my my Brazilian friends go crazy. They love it. What's your favorite thing about Christmas, Daniel and Michael? You're next. Um, eating. Yep, got yep. that yep. tick. Michael, how about you? I like uh, watching Christmas Day, Top of the Pops, and being appalled that I've never heard of any of the acts. And but do they still do? Yeah, it's the only well, one like that's new Christmas, yeah, yeah. Top of the Pops. Yeah, because old ones were great. Yeah, no, it's it's uh, they do one a year. In fact, they do two a year. They do one on New Year's Eve. Do but they? It's the only Top of the Pops now. Funnily enough, I I think we started the show with uh, the Shakira song. Yes. It's the last ever number one on Top of the Pops when it was a weekly show. Is that right? That is a fact. That's, that's a great that's bit of knowledge. That's almost yeah. as good as your blue fact. Michael. Yes, that is. What that, was yes. the blue? Yes. What was the blue? Blue, fact? as in the you know the band, right? The pop band released more greatest hits albums than actual albums. <laughs> <laughs> I 
I love that for stats. Um, you, you probably tweeted that four or five years ago, and yet I still remember. How it. is that possible? Because it's like they just blue platinum, it. and <laughs> it's just inc- yeah, it's good. Brilliant. All right. Well, um, many, many thanks for that, and so much more, Michael, today, and have yourselves a happy Christmas. Same to you, Natalie. Thank you very much. And uh, also you, Daniel, away in the snows in Leicester. And you especially, Lister, although we will, and I hope you will be back on Thursday when we return. For now, from all of us here, it's goodbye. You've been listening to The Totally Football Show, a Muddy Knees Media production. For sales and advertising, email sales at muddykneesmedia.com. And don't forget to check out our other football shows on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and everywhere else you get your audio on demand. Supporting your team can be a beautiful thing, but then come the injuries, the goal droughts and the downright disastrous defeats. That's a little bit like life, really. And here at the Totally Football Show, we believe we should all support each other the way we support our team, through the good days and the bad. And that's why we're continuing to work with Calm, the campaign against living miserably, a charity dedicated to preventing male suicide. On average, 12 men take their own life every day in the UK. So that's your starting 11 and your manager every single day. And part of the problem is that many of us still feel uncomfortable talking about mental health and suicide, and this can often stop men from opening up and getting support when they need it the most. So if you're worried that someone close to you is having a tough time, check in with them and let them know that Calm is there. Every day from 5pm till midnight, Calm provide a free, confidential and anonymous helpline and web chat for any man who needs support. Visit thecalmzone.net to find out more about Calm.